You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. Ephesians 5.12. We're going to look at a couple of things, and we're going to look at two pretty familiar stories, but don't check out because we're going to look at it in a different way than we haven't looked at before. I feel like God God showed me something new, something different. So if you're familiar with the story, when I say to turn there, don't just check out and say, oh, I already know that. I've already heard that because we're going to look at something different, something cool. But I'm going to start um, this morning. I want to get in your mind. We're going to talk about smell. And hopefully whatever smell you smell in your area right now is pleasant. I'm hoping. I don't know. The different ones of you are sitting by different people and... Uh, But did you know that you have a scent? You have your own scent. That's why they can like take a tracking dog and let him sniff of something that's yours and he can find you. He can track you down. You were born with a scent, a certain smell. If I told you that you have to pick one of your five senses today to lose, completely get rid of, you'd probably pick smell. Most people would. They did a survey, a, a survey on this with a hundred different people, and I didn't write it down, and I forgot the exact percentage. But it was like eighty something of them picked smell. Mo- the way more than the majority said, "I take. I'm not going to give up my sight or my hearing." Or we think that smell is not that important. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about how important smell is. It's really important in the natural. And it's the same in the spirit. We see some different things in scripture about smell. And so we're going to look at smell. You know, uh, smell in the natural, whether it's smelling something good, it can be a great thing and it can change your mood and smell is attached to your emotions. Or you are given smell for different reasons. One is for warning. You smell that? Something burning? Oh, there's a fire. Or... We can detect if something's rotten by smelling it. And Jesse will pull out a pack of lunch meat out of the fridge that's expired and say, here, smell this and see if it's good. Right? Like, we, uh, we can smell if something's good or bad. I could smell a gallon of milk and tell you if it's good or bad without even seeing the date on it. If you can't smell, you'll know. But the good thing is, if you can't smell, you can't taste very much at all. So doesn't matter if you drink the spoiled milk, I guess. You can't taste it. (laughs) No, it does matter. It'll still make you sick. But it takes away your taste, too. Smell is more important than we we think about. So as we start out the message, I got a question for you. What do you smell like? You ever, you heard of a smelthy? (laughs) Smell yourself? All right. I'm I'm (laughs) talking about in the spirit. What do you? What does your life smell like? If we were to say, his life smells like blank, her life smells like, what is it? You know, in, in the Old Testament, 
the priests would have the anointing oil, a specific oil that God told them to make, and it was out of these sweet-smelling spices and fragrances, and they would mix it all together, and it was this strong, strong, good smell, and they would dump it over the priest's head, and it would run down all over his robes and in his beard and in his hair, and it would just stick with him. So when you were around a priest, you could tell the smell. There's an anointed man around here. There's somebody that's regularly in the presence of God. I can smell it. Well, now, after the cross, we all have that anointing inside of us. We all have that Jesus inside of us. So, we should smell like God. We should, you should be able to smell that anointing in the Spirit. There's that smell. Or do we stink? You know, probably one of the worst things I can think of to smell is something dead. A dead animal or, or like if Ben bought a case of chicken and left it in the church refrigerator and forgot about it and it rotted. Seems oddly specific. Um, <laughs> you can't imagine a smell that bad of something rotten or dead. You know, in Scripture, we see that sin is death. Your sin stinks. It's a bad smell. When you're living in that and dwelling in that and abiding in your sin, it's, it's like death. One of the worst smells I can think of. It's a scientific fact that what you smell changes how you feel. What you smell changes how you feel. heard about this old lady and she went to see her doctor for her yearly checkup and the doctor said well how 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 are you feeling physically and she said well doctor there's there's something wrong with me and it's a little bit embarrassing but I don't know really what's going on but she said I've been passing gas a lot and he's like well <laughs> And she said, but the good thing is, they're silent, and they don't stink. But I'm just wondering. And she said, I mean, to prove my point that they're silent and they don't stink, doctor, I've probably passed gas ten times while I've been sitting here in your office. And you probably didn't even know. He says, okay, I'm going to write you a prescription. And he writes her a prescription and says, I want you to come back and see me in two weeks, and we'll see if this cleared up the problem. She comes back in two weeks, and she's mad. Oh, I need to talk to you. He said, What's, what seems to be the problem? How's, how is your issue? And she said, well, whatever that medicine is you put me on, it made them, I'm still passing gas just as much, but it made them all stink. He said, okay. Pulled out his notepad and says, sinuses clear. Now we'll work on the hearing. Sometimes you don't smell your own stink. I know there's things in my life that stink, but I get used to them. And I make excuses for them, or I, I think they don't stink, but they really do. If you can't smell, you don't know when you stink. Need to be able to smell.
today we're going to do a smelfy, see what we smell like. Have you ever been confused? Not like that old lady was confused. I haven't, but I've heard about people being confused. Kidding. I've been confused too. I heard, uh, use a different name. Bubba came up and asked uh, the preacher to pray for his hearing. So the preacher paid, prayed this powerful prayer that God would touch his hearing and that he would be able to hear. And preacher got done praying and he said, uh, so Bubba, how's your hearing? He said, well, I don't know. It's not scheduled till next Tuesday at the courthouse. Don't be confused about how you smell. So what stinks? Stinginess, selfishness, negativity, sin, death. Your sin stinks. Look at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Look what Paul said in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice. An offering and a sacrifice to God for, for what? A sweet-smelling savor. So an offering or a sacrifice, love is a sweet smell. When we walk in love, in real love, agape love, that's God's love, the love that God had for us, the agape love that we can't do on our own, the love that we can love somebody and expect nothing in return, that's real love. The Bible tells us what good is it if, if you love somebody that loves you? Every, anybody can do that. The heathens can love somebody that loves them, do something good for somebody that does something good to you. Real love, God's love, loves and doesn't need anything in return. Now, I'm going to love you whether you love me or not. That's God's love. That love smells good. It smells good to God and it smells good to people. We give off His scent because God is love. So you were created in His image. Back in Genesis, when God created man, He created Adam in His image. We were created in His image. And we know from Scripture that God is love. And we're created in His image. So think about peanut butter. You can't create peanut butter without a peanut. You have to have peanut butter. You have to have a peanut to make peanut butter. Right? And you can add all different ingredients. You can add oil or salt or sugar or butter. You can mix it with honey and jelly and all these things that make it good. They make it taste really good, but you can't take out the peanut. It's no longer peanut butter. Without the peanut, what is it? So in your life, you can add the gifts of the Spirit. You can add grace and good works. And you can add all kinds of sweet stuff. But if you don't have love, 
John said, you don't know God. You can't love, you don't, you have to have love. Love is not a feeling. That's where we get confused. Love is not a feeling. More than a feeling. Love is much more than a feeling. Look at John 13. John 13, 34. John 13, 34. John talked a lot about love. And this is Jesus speaking. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If you have love one to another. So he said a new commandment. This is a commandment. You're commanded to do this. He tells his disciples. So if you're a disciple of Jesus. You consider yourself a Christ follower. A disciple. This is a commandment. You can't command a feeling. (laughs) If you think that love is a feeling. You can't command a feeling. Everyone, be sad. I can't command you to be... See, Amanda laughed when I said be sad. That's the opposite of sad. She's laughing. Pray for Bo. (laughs) You can't command a feeling. But we're commanded in Scripture to love, so that means love's not a feeling. Love is a choice. Married people said amen. (laughs) It's a choice. You don't feel it all the time. (laughs) Well, I'm just looking for chemistry and passion. Well, that's great. I hope you find that. And you probably will for, according to psychologists, about six weeks to 18 months. There will be a lot of chemistry and passion. That's what we call falling in love. Those butterflies in your stomach and it goes away. Six weeks to 18 months for everybody. Then it's gone. So I married Jesse real quick, so we had it for longer of our marriage. But <laughs> see, you don't date for a long time, you waste that period. <laughs> Seriously, this is, this is not supposed to be a dating message. I'm talking about love. Um, but guess what? It'll wear off. In six weeks to 18 months, it goes away. Well, why? God put that inside of you. When you fall in love with somebody, you meet that guy or you meet that girl, you fall in love, you feel those feelings. God put that inside of you, and it's something that happens in your brain. And every time you talk to that person, every time you touch that person's hand, every time you call them on the phone, every time you're around them and you want to spend time with them and stuff, your brain, you're getting a hit of dopamine. Every time you're around them and you become addicted to that person. The same as a person that's addicted to a drug. It's the same strength, same hit of dopamine. So you become addicted to that person that you're in love with. Four, six weeks to 18 months. And then God made it to where that addiction goes away. 
It stops. Why? Because you would explode your brain if you were in love for the rest of your life. You'd sit on the phone for five hours a night and wouldn't be able to work the next day. Good night. Love you. Good night. Why didn't you hang up? I was waiting for you to hang up. I love you. Good night. Are you still awake? Yeah. This goes on for hours and hours. Sane people don't do that. That's the behavior of a person that's under the influence of something not sane. Right? God designed it that way so that you would become addicted to that person and that you would commit to that person for the rest of your life and you would build this bond and this relationship and then when it goes away and you can go back to normal life and actually work a job and be a productive member of society, but now you're committed to that person so you will make a choice daily to love them whether you feel like it or not. But if you're stuck on a feeling, then in 18 months when that feeling goes away, and then about a year after that, when you just can't take it anymore, you'll leave them and go find somebody else because they'll give you that feeling for a little bit of time. But that's not love. Love's not a feeling. Love's a choice. You better get back to the message, the smell, smell message. So I heard this lady went to... Uh, to a, while we're talking about relationships and love, uh, this lady went to a marriage counselor, therapist, and she told him how horrible her husband was and that she was done with the relationship and that he had become just, he was so distant and he wasn't there and he, he just made her feel like she was worthless and all the things. She had her whole list of things of why she couldn't stand him anymore and she was done with the relationship and she didn't love him anymore and she hadn't loved him for years and she just wanted a divorce and she wanted it out but she wanted to hurt him. She didn't want to just get out of it. She wanted to hurt him in the worst way possible. And so the therapist said, well, if he was my client too, I wouldn't tell you this. But since he's not... And men can figure out how to recover from this type of thing emotionally. So um, there is something that we don't use that often, but it works every time. It's called revenge therapy. And it will hurt him in the deepest way you can imagine. And it will bring closure to you. You'll be fine. And you'll get closure and you can move on with your life. And he'll have to pick up the pieces because it's going to hurt him bad. Is that what you want? She said, yes, absolutely. Sign me up. He said, you're going to have to work for it. She said, okay, what do I got to do? You tell me. He said, what I want you to do is go home today and act like you are madly in love with him. For two months, I want you to give me eight weeks, and you're going to cook him his favorite meals, and you're going to love him, and no matter what he does, no matter what he says, you are going to act. You're going to have to be a good actress. But you are going to act like you are madly in love with him. Like it was when y'all first met. And then, at the end of that two months, you're going to give him divorce papers and you're going to leave. And it will completely crush him. Oh, that sounds great, she said. Wonderful. She went home and cooked his favorite meal. And two months later, the therapist hadn't heard back from her, so he calls her up. Hey, did you get the divorce papers drawn up? She said, oh, no, the... 
the craziest thing happened. In fact, we got our, um, our we're taking another honeymoon. We just renewed our vows, and next week we got this big trip planned, and things are great. He's back. He just seems to be madly in love with me, and what started out as an act, and now it seems like we've fallen in love with each other again, and, and now he's bringing home flowers, and things are better than they've ever been. They're even better than they were to start with. And the therapist kind of laughed, and he said, well, it worked. Why? Because he knew that emotion follows motion. You don't have to feel it. Love is a choice. Do what you know you need to do, and then your emotions will follow. Emotion follows motion. Love gives always. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives, gives. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. I would question whether it's real love or not. Love gives. Love is the one new commandment that Jesus brought. There were all the other commandments were already there. There were all kind of laws. There were all kind. There were ten commandments and. There were other laws and all this stuff. Love is the only new one that Jesus brought. He said, the new commandment I came to give is just love God and love people. Real love. Agape love. And then Jesus showed us how it was done. If you want to look like God, if you want to smell like God, then you got to learn how to love like God. Because love... Smells sweet. Look at John 12. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, y'all remember Lazarus, the guy that died, Jesus' friend, and Jesus came and raised him back from the dead, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. The whole entire house was filled because she made that sacrifice. The whole entire house was filled with the odor of the ointment, that good smell of her sacrifice, of her giving, of her love for Jesus. But everybody in the house, you smell that? Got to smell that. Did you know you're sitting in someone else's sacrifice? Right now. In this building, this, you're, you're sitting in someone else's sacrifice. It may be part of your sacrifice. For most of you, it is. Your worship, your sacrifice, your love, it's a sweet smell. Verse 4 says, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, 
which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Well, thank God that Judas was there and that he said that because that tells us how much this was worth. And otherwise, we'd have no idea and think it was just a little bottle of oil and that it wasn't a very costly sacrifice. But since Judas told us how much this thing was worth, so I'm glad he was there and I'm glad John recorded what Judas said and how stingy he was because that tells us that it could have been sold for 300 pence and one pence was roughly a day's wage at minimum wage back then so like a worker's wage so 300 of those would have been a year for them because of 300 days and you take away sick days and you take away all the Sabbath days because they don't work on the Sabbath and you take away a vacation, you come up with right around 300, so about a year. So if you were to work a minimum wage job, it would be right about a, a year. So between fifteen dollars and $20,000, this bottle of oil was worth to us. It would have been the equivalent of fifteen dollars to $20,000. pretty big sacrifice she just got up and went and got that and came and dumped it broke it on Jesus' feet and dumped it out for him well if you go back and read chapter 11 right before this I mentioned it just a minute ago but chapter 11 is when Jesus came back into town and he healed her brother and he called him out from the grave and this is their little party back at their house to like say thank you to Jesus for bringing Lazarus back and I picture Mary sitting there like, it's just not enough. All that he's done, and he brought our brother back. This, and we gave him a meal. We gave him some food. What do I have that I could pour out on him? She had so much love, so much appreciation, not looking for something in return. Just what do I have that I could pour on Jesus' feet? What do I have that I could... Because he's done so much for me. He's done so much for my family. He's done so much for my brother. What could I pour out on him looking for nothing in return? I know what. I have that bottle of oil in my room. I'll go get it. She goes and pours it. Verse 6 says, Thus he said not, we're still talking about Judas, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag and he bare what was put therein. He was just a thief. And some of the other gospels say that some the other disciples were saying stuff like joining in with Judas. And you know, I thought about when I read this story this time. You know, they weren't just insulting her. They were kind of like criticizing Jesus. Like, why didn't you stop that? Why, why was this dumped out on your... Why would you let her do that? You know, we could have used this money to help somebody. What? And there... You know what I've found? The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. The ones that complain the most usually do the least. Judas. Why wasn't this done? done, done? And he said this not because he cared about the poor. John made sure he put that there for us to know. Don't y'all think it was because he had a good heart? It wasn't. He, he, he said it because he was a thief. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Jesus sticks up for her. Let her alone. 
against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you but me. You have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and they believed on Jesus. What They wanted to kill Lazarus too. Why? Because his story of death was such a testimony that it was causing many people to believe on Jesus. What's your story causing people to believe? What's, what's your story of death smell like? As you give your testimony and as you live your life and, and the death that you've walked through and the tough situations and the hard things that you've walked through. I mean, Lazarus died and if you look back in chapter 11, somewhere, I think, verse, somewhere in the 30, 39, where they were like, he stinketh. He's dead. He's gone. He stinks. It's over. But his story of death was causing people to believe in Jesus. What does your life story cause people to believe in? So let's talk about Mary. Now her generosity, her sacrifice was a good smell that filled the whole house. There's something about Mary. First one, she gave what she could. I think a lot of times when we look at this story, when I've heard this story and this story was preached before, like it, it makes me feel bad that I don't have a year's worth of something that I can pour out on Jesus. But Mary had that. She didn't go out and find it or buy it or get it or borrow it. She already, she had it. She gave what she could. There are some things that you can't give. If I mean, if I ask RJ for a million bucks, I'm sure he's got a great heart and he loves me and he'd love to give me that, but he doesn't have a million dollars. If he does, he's good at hiding it from his brother-in-law. Because <laughs> I don't know that he has a million dollars. You can give what you have. God doesn't ask you to give more than you have. But does it need to be a sacrifice? Yes. Otherwise, what does it matter? She gave what she could. Second thing I saw was, she gave while she could. We're real bad about putting stuff off. And if she would have put it off, this was the last public meal that Jesus had with people. Then after this, he has the last supper with only his disciples. And then he goes to the cross and dies. This was it. This was her last chance. But she didn't know that. So what if she thought, well, he comes for Passover. He comes into town every year, and we always have him. So I want to do something extra for him. So next year, I'm going to get a good offering and a good sacrifice because we'll probably be in a better place then because now that Lazarus is back alive, he can work and set us up. And we'll get some more financially. We'll be more stable. And next year, I'll pour out the sacrifice on Jesus. Well, 
she would have missed her chance. She gave what she had while she could. She didn't miss her moment. Because she said, no, I'm not going to wait till next year. I'm going to give what I have now. I'm going to dump it out. And then if God gives me more to give next year, then I'll have more to give next year. And I'll have more to sacrifice next year when he rolls around. But she gave what she had and she gave it while she could. Not one day. Not when it makes sense. Not when I can work it out in my mind. It's just, oh God, you, you've done so much for me. I want to do for you. I want to pour out on you. The third thing is, she received more than she gave. It always happens. We give and then God blesses us back. God gives us back. And, well, what did she receive? She got to be part of the story. She's mentioned by name in all four Gospels. And here we are some 2,000 years later talking about her. And she's, she's being, speaking into all of our lives. She got to be part of God's story. Well, that's pretty cool. I, I want to be part of God's story. Man, I want to be a part of the kingdom. I, wanna be, I don't want to be just forgotten. and I want to be part of God's story to change the world. Second thing, she got back what she gave. It tells us that she wiped the oil off with her hair. You know how your hair can soak up smells? Now that Jesse works at the deli, I smell sandwiches every night. That a Nathaniel? Lady Jane? Now, y'all notice I've been gaining weight because my wife smells like delicious sandwiches all the time. No. No, seriously, your hair, it soaks up smells. Just, it does. They even sell, sell hair perfume that you can get and spray in. Because your hair soaks up smells, she soaked up that oil, her sacrifice that she poured out on Jesus, it got soaked up in her hair. So when she got up to leave and she walked out of there, everybody that came in contact with her could smell, smell that on her. She smelled like the sacrifice. You smell like your sacrifice. You walk away smelling like the thing that you worship. Well, that's kind of scary for some of us because if, if, we're, if we're worshiping or we're idolizing our sin, that death, then we're going to have a nasty smell associated with us. What you worship, you will walk away from smelling like it. She walked away smelling like this beautiful, sweet-smelling fragrance. And everybody she came in contact with could smell, wow. It's worship. What do you smell like today? You smell like worship? Do you smell like love? You smell like generosity? You know what else she got? She got the memory. You ever heard somebody say, just making memories doesn't have to be something you spend a ton of money on. Or she, she made a memory with Jesus.
You know how when you smell certain smells, it automatically can bring up a memory? You smell a certain kind of food, and all of a sudden you remember being at your mama's table because that was something that she cooked or memories. You smell a cologne. It reminds you of somebody that always wore that cologne. All the, these memories pop up. Every time she smelled spike, smelled spikenard from then on, boom, there was that memory of worshiping at Jesus' feet, of being so grateful for what he had done for her that she was just pouring out. It's a good memory to have pop up. Mark 14, 27. It's a familiar guy. I'm going to show you a couple things in Peter's life, and we're going to wrap it up with something kind of cool. Mark 14, 27. And Jesus said unto them, All ye that be offended because of... All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written... I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. So Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, guys, look, he was about to go to the cross. They were about to arrest him, and he was telling them, look, you're all going to get offended. You're all going to get upset. You're all, y'all are going to have a bad night. There's some rough stuff coming for you, boys. I'm trying to get you ready. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. (laughs) Maybe all the rest of these guys will, but I won't. You don't know who you're talking to. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock, cock crow thrice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. And the rest of them, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Peter's like, oh, no, you don't know me. I won't do that. I won't fail. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to fall down. I'm not going to betray you. I wouldn't do that. Even if all these other morons do, I won't. No. What's that? It's pride. His pride's talking instead of listening to what Jesus is, Jesus is trying to tell him. You're going to mess up. No, not me. I won't do that. Maybe all these other guys will, but not me. John 18. John 18, 16. I know we're jumping, I'm jumping around a lot, but I, I want to show you this last thing. So Jesus gets taken. He gets put in handcuffs and... And they come and get him in the garden. You know the story. And there's a little kid there that he was one of the servants of the high priest that that poured water on his hands. And so we know for a fact that he would have been the only one there that was not armed. Right? Because he's a servant. And they weren't allowed to carry a weapon. And Peter, he was strapped. He had his sword on him. And Peter snatches out the sword and goes for the one unarmed kid and chops his ear off. Tough guy. Yeah. (laughs) 
You know, they got secret service there, and they got the high priest and all these people there. And he goes after the kid that has no weapon, Malchus. Poor kid's name, Malchus. That's a, I mean. So Peter chops off his ear, and Jesus puts the ear back on and says, Can you hear me now? And the kid said, Yeah. And so they take Peter away. And then here's what happens. But Peter stood at the door without. They were trying to get in. Peter and John were wanting to see where they were taking Jesus, what was going on. Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple. John writes this about himself. The other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. So, like, they wouldn't let Peter in because he didn't know anybody. So the bouncer, they stopped him at the door and John was known by the high priest, so he went and talked to the girl that was keeping the door, and he got Peter in, so he felt the need to put that here in his gospel to let everybody know that he was important enough to get in, and he had to let Peter in. Just tell him you're my friend. So he got Peter in. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. No, 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 wrong guy, not me. Nope. He denied Jesus. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals. A fire is a pretty strong smell. When you're around a fire, that smell gets on your clothes and your hair. Bonfire, campfire. If you're a smoker, just from being close to smoke, it gets on you. You don't even realize it, but if somebody else walks up to you, you smell smoke. They made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them, and he warmed himself. And then we see, like, the trial of Jesus. Skip ahead to verse 25. And Simon Peter stood, and he warmed himself. And they said, therefore, unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? And he denied it. And he said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? It happened to be one of that kid, Malchus, that Peter chopped off his ear in the garden. One of his relatives was standing around that fire. And he's like, aren't you one of the ones that was with him? And he's like, no, I don't know him. I've never heard of him. And he said, yeah, but I never forget a face, especially one that cut my cousin's ear off. It was you. I th- you, you chopped off my cousin's ear trying to defend Jesus. You are one of his disciples. Well, what are the chances that one of his relatives was standing there and recognized him? Yeah, you are. I may not remember every face, but I probably remember one that, you know, chopped off my brother's ear a couple hours before. It wasn't like it was a long time ago. Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Mark tells us that he was cursing Jesus. And if you look at the language, it wasn't just a, 
you know, heck no, I don't know who Jesus is. Like a, he used a curse word to get his point across. It was, he was cursing Jesus, cursing who he was, as if to say, would somebody that believed in him or would one of his followers talk about him in this way? To prove that he hated him, that he didn't believe in him. He was cursing Jesus, cursing his name, cursing Jesus. And um, if you look in Luke 22, it says that as they were bringing Jesus from trial to trial, they had multiple trials that night. And as they were bringing Jesus by, that he looked and his eyes met Peter's eyes at the moment that Peter was cursing his name. And immediately the rooster crowed. How you think Peter felt at that moment? Jesus. He knew he was right. Jesus was right. He, the biggest failure ever. He said, I was supposed to be a fisher of men. How could I ever preach about him or bring people to him? And most of the audience I would preach to, they'd see my failure. I've denied him. I've cursed him. I've and the worst part is Jesus saw it. Talk about a failure. Something that he would never forget. It'd be hard to ever move on past that. We close in John 21. John 21, I won't even I won't read you the whole story because you know Peter's in a bad place and Jesus comes back and is resurrected and Peter's just all over the place. He's up and down and he goes to the tomb and he knows that Jesus is back and Jesus is saying, tell all the disciples and make sure you tell Peter. And He's all kind of up and down and then we read here in John 21. Go back and read it. Um, but Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to my old ways. And he goes and gets in the boat and the other disciples follow him and, and they're out there and Jesus comes up on the shore and he kind of recreates when he first called Peter. And he came to him and he said, hey, have you caught anything? He said, no. He said, let down your nets on the other side. And like, like when he had called Peter and he shows up and Peter didn't even recognize him at first. He's on the shore and he's saying, hey, have you all caught anything? And John had to tell Peter, hey, Peter, that's Jesus. Oh. That's Jesus. I like how it, it says he was fishing naked. And he got up and put some clothes on and jumped in the water to swim to Jesus. It seems like the opposite. You take off the clothes to jump in the water. But, you, but the whole thing is just weird. Peter had messed up. He lost his passion. He went back to his old ways. But he still had people around him. John. That would tell him. Even when he couldn't see it for himself. Hey, that's Jesus. I know you're in a tough spot right now. But that's Jesus calling you. Get up. Look who's on the shore. So I'll read you the rest of the story in verse 9. They, they swam to the shore and. 
As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon Peter went up, and he drew the net to land full of great fishes. I wonder how many fish it was. A hundred and fifty-three. Exactly. Thanks for the details. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh, and he taketh bread, and he giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? And I've heard different speculation on more than these, what, than these fish, or than that could mean the occupation, or I think Jesus was saying more than these because remember what I read you in Mark the first when he said, Well, even if all these idiots deny you, I won't. I'll never walk away. I'm ride or die, Jesus. I'm with you all the way. I think Jesus was probably asking Peter, Do you you still you love me more than all these dudes? And all these so called other guys that you said would walk away before you do do you love me more than these and he said unto him yeah lord thou knowest that i love thee and he said unto him feed my lambs and he said unto him again the second time simon son of jonas lovest thou me do you love me do you love me do you love me hey kiki do you love me lovest thou me do you love me And he said unto him, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep or serve people. Lay down your life. Sacrifice. Worship. Give off a sweet smell, a fragrance of love. Sacrifice. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And he saith unto him a third time. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. So Jesus gives him three times to make it right. And Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved. Peter started crying. He got emotional. I think it was starting to click what Jesus was doing and why I denied him three times. And and on the third time, I was cussing him, cursing his name and saying the worst things I could think of to say. And now here he is giving me a chance to make it right third time do you love me Peter was grieved he started to cry because he said unto him the third time lovest thou me and he said unto him Lord thou knowest all things hey the pride's gone hey you know everything I don't I don't know I think I love you I want to do what you said I was going to do I but I can't do it you know all things you you know gone is the pride thou knowest that I love thee and Jesus said unto him feed my sheep Peter smell is linked more closely to memory and emotions 
than any of our other senses. That's why you can smell something and it'll instantly bring you back to a memory. Your olfactory bulb runs from your nose to the base of your brain. Your sight and your hearing, they go to the front of your brain. When you smell something, it goes directly to the base of your brain and has connections to your amygdala, the area of the brain responsible for processing emotion and memories. And to your hippocampus, which is linked to memory. That's why you remember something. So, check this out. Every time Peter would have come around a campfire or a torch, back then they used fire to light with, to cook with, to heat with, to... Every house you walked in, you would have smelled smoke. Every time it's cold outside, the men stood around the barrel with a burning fire. Every time for light, they carried torches that would have been smoke. And every single time he smelled smoke, he would have remembered that memory would pop back. And his emotions of cussing out Jesus, cursing, and the biggest failure, the biggest mistake of his life. Every time he smelled smoke. And Jesus showed up on the beach. And Jesus built a fire. He started cooking those fish on it. And what we just read is on a fire of coals there, Jesus laid the fish. He had a fire of coals burning. And that's where Jesus asked Peter. Psychologists say that the only thing powerful enough to rewrite a smell memory is another smell. Memory. You can rewrite it with another. You can overwrite that memory. Jesus was letting Peter stand there and smell the smoke and gave him three times to get rid of that bad, to say goodnight to the failure. It was morning, and Jesus cooked him breakfast and said, it's not over. I don't care how bad you messed up. It's not over. Because grace says you get another chance. Grace says, I'm going to rewrite that memory. You don't, you don't have to remember that failure anymore. Yeah, you did the worst you can think of. And yeah, I saw you. I was there. Jesus, I was there when you were at the bottom. I was there when you cursed my name. And I'm still going to give you a chance to make it right. I'm going to change your memory. So every time that you smell smoke, you remember how much I love you. You remember my grace for you. And every time those emotions won't be bad those emotions will be good and you will be a fisher of men don't go back to your old ways Peter I need you you're a leader and that's what he does for us doesn't matter your deepest failure 
He's got grace for you. He's got plans for you. And that doesn't change. What do you smell like? What are you pouring out? You will smell like your sacrifice. Let's pray. Hey, Dad. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us a place in your family. We've all messed up. We've all done things that we're not proud of. We've all had moments where we were at the bottom or where we, we denied you. Or we've had those moments of pride where we thought we could do it on our own. Even if everybody else messes up, we won't. We've, we've been there. God, I thank you so much for grace. Thank you that even when we were there, you knew. And you already had a plan to fix it and to give us another chance. Say there are no last chances. God, we want to smell like love. We want to smell like you. We want to smell like a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling fragrance to you. God, help us to do what we can while we can. We worship you today. We thank you for all that you do for us. Remind us that love is a choice. We choose to love each other because you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.